you turn open your Bibles to Genesis 1 with me. We're taking a one-week break from our series in Hebrews that we're almost wrapping up after over a year in that. And we're going to speak um, to the topic of work. Two reasons. One is we usually, as you know, preach exegetically through a book of the Bible. And as topics come up from the text, we address them. Um, But it's good every now and then to address a really relevant topic. But number two, um, as I meet with um, people throughout the week as a minister, you know, you ask and you've probably done this as well. How's it going? And oftentimes I hear and you probably hear as well the comment work is really hard. In fact, I was in the restroom earlier uh, this morning and asked somebody, and somebody said work. I think he said it was intensely insane and getting worse or something like that. <laughs> uh, but maybe you can relate with that this morning. And so we're going to start off, um, we're going we're to preach on a, one sermon on the topic of work, and then we're having this conference on Friday about um, work is worship. So um, we're going to start off by reading the few verses in Genesis uh, 1 through 3, and then I'll end uh, in the New Testament in my last point. The context, before we read, is very familiar with you. I'm sure here in Genesis 1, God is working. Let's start in verse 27 and 28. We'll read those to begin. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Go with me to chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from the, his work that he had done in creation. Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And finally, chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's a reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for our individual callings that you have given us. We thank you especially for a time where we look in your word to see specifically what you have intended in terms of our work. And we want to come away encouraged, hopeful, excited about our, our 9 to 5, our Monday through Friday. Where we 
pray you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a lot of fun um, last night talking with my wife uh, about some of the jobs I had uh, through high school and college. And as I remembered them, we, got a, we had a few laughs about some of them. Some of them were really fun and some of them were really hard. Um, I, um, I worked at a golf course one time and laid a lot of sod and um, weed-eated for eight hours a day. That was not one of the fun ones. Um, I worked as, uh, as did roofing for, I think, just a few days. It may have been a few months, but it seemed like a few days. But my legs started cramping, and I was all with all these, you know, men's men up there as a teenager, and my, I would just scream out because my leg would start cramping. Not fun. I, um, I remember working as a TA one time for an astronomy lab in... Um, in college, and the funny thing there was, I, I'd never taken astrology, so or astronomy, and um, <laughs> I never took either of those, so I didn't know anything about either of those. Um, and then I, I worked at, a, at a, a, um, a taco fast food restaurant for a couple of years, and enough said there. So, I, you know, it just it was uh, work is um, work is something we. We do a lot. It's something we, you know, you know, when we, um, whenever we meet somebody new, it's one of the first questions we ask, isn't it? What's your name? Oh, what do you do? Where do you work? Um, we often follow that up with, oh, what do you, what do you do with that work and with that company? And I think the only one exception to that is when someone asks, like me and Mike and Matt, that question, you know, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I work at a church. Oh, uh, did you see that game last night? You know, (laughs) no long spiritual monologue desired. Um, But isn't it interesting as we as we ask, you know, interact with new people, you you never get the question, why do you work? Anybody ever asked you that? You know, what do you do? Oh, why? Well, why do you work? Um, Now, it's given it's that would be a quite a deep question for somebody you know, when you're interacting with somebody new for them to ask you that, you'd ask them that. But um, it's a good question for us, ask, for us to ask this morning. Why do you work? Merriam-Webster's dictionary gives an answer to that in their de- de- definition of work. They say, the, um, work means to perform or fulfill your duties regularly for wages and salary. You hear the purpose they give? You work in order to earn money. Period. Um, the business dictionary says the same thing. It says a, work is a job done to earn money. But I think most of us and most of people really in the world believe there's got to be more to work than just earning money. Aristotle once said, we work to have leisure on which happiness depends. And many work for that purpose. You work in order to get to the weekend and have leisure or the next vacation you know, Oz Guinness begins his book, uh, The Call, with a story about a prominent businessman sharing at a conference near Oxford, uh, Oxford College, University. This man began this conference saying, as you know, I have been very fortunate in my career and I've made a lot of money. Far more than I've ever dreamed of. Far more than I, I could ever spend. Far more than my family needs. And then he hesitated to reveal a deeper emotion hidden behind his outward success. A single tear rolled down his face as he continued. To be honest, one of my motives for making so much money was simple. To have 
the money to hire people to do what I don't like doing. But there's one thing I've never been able to hire anyone to do for me. To find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. I'd give anything to discover that. So I want us to look at what is the vision for our, of God's vision for the value and the purpose of our work from the one who designed it. The hopes that we would feel a greater sense of, of purpose and fulfillment at our work, really. So whether it's running a bank, running a household, writing code, or writing papers for college, let's look at a couple of things that God's Word says about work. Number one, it says, we're going to look at God, work as it was designed, then work as it was distorted, and then work as it is redeemed. Work as designed, distorted, and redeemed. Let's look first at work as it was designed. So let's start with the work's design value. Work's design value. See, in the beginning of the biblical story of the creation of all things, we find the God of the universe at work. We find him working. Genesis 2-2 and 3, in those two verses, it says this three times. God, work and the work he had done. On the seventh day, God finished the work he had done. And then he rested on the seventh day from the work he had done. It says it over and over. We get the picture that wants us to realize that God is a God who works. God is a God who works. It's interesting because the creation stories of the ancient Near East, they would not have seen that as... They could not have related to that. See, work was seen as a, a demeaning thing. The gods in the ancient Near East, that was, they were too lofty and exalted to do something like work, and that's what they created humans for. But not in the true creation story. God chose the same word that he used for work here, as the same word that would be used of what he calls his people to do. Even as they shoot out as early, soon after in building the the tabernacle. They were to work. Which means that work is not part of the fall. And it's not part of the curse. As many are tempted to believe. Work was always meant to be the original good design of God's good creation. In fact, when you read about God working in Genesis 1, 1 through 25, in creation, it almost seems like he's having fun. It almost seems like he's having a lot of joy in it, Right? Seven times it says God saw his work. And he said, ooh, it was good. That's good. Work in the beginning seemed like six restful and joyful days of God expressing his creativity and enjoying it and making it good for us. Isn't that a great image of our work? It's the image of those of you who Love working in the garden. I talked to somebody, again, between services who spent a couple hours working in the garden. And you plant flowers, you pull the weeds, you go inside, take a shower, come back out, and then you look at your work. And what do you do? Oh, man, that's good. It, it's the same thing as a, 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 a programmer feels with a, when he gets a program to actually work and do exactly as he intended it to do. It's the same thing... As a mother, when the child actually obeyed just as you trained them to do, or a student after studying hard for a test, 
and you get it back and it was a perfect score. Expression of the creativity God had given you. There's joy. You say, ooh, that, that is good. That is good. Your work, it was designed by God to be good. A joyful use of the creativity and the gifts God has given you. That's the, the value, the design value of work. But let's look at its design purpose in the, in the beginning. Uh, Genesis 2.15, as we read, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. <laughs> to work it. But you would have thought when you're first reading through this, it, there should be a pause, right? I mean, God had just created man. And what is man going to do? Like, what's going to be his purpose? Um, he cre- put him in the garden with all these fruit trees and to pick and eat apples. And then sit and sleep and nap and then get up and pick some more la- apples and just leisure. <laughs> no. He, picked him, uh, he put him in the garden to um, cut down a tree and make a guitar and sing some worship songs all day. No. He put him in the garden to work it and keep it. It points back to Genesis 1.28 where God told them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. To subdue it. You know what subdue means? It means God's saying, take what I've created and use all the creativity and skills that I've given you to work to create beautiful and innovative and useful new things. That's what it means to subdue the earth. Isn't it interesting? That God could have done this in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, he could have just created it all in the beginning. I created all the cities. I created all the art. I created it all. You just go and live in it. And worship me. He didn't do it that way. Or or he could have at least given us the blueprints, right? Here's how you're going to design the cities. Here's how you paint a painting. Here's how you do it. Here's how you build a computer. He didn't do that either. He, He put it all, his design was to use us to subdue the earth. And put it all, the creativity to do those things inside of us. You take the raw materials, develop, organize them into something of use. I've given you part of myself in order to do that and the passion to do those things. We see this good creative energy and passion to work all around us, but you know, I see it sometimes in my small children. And give a small child, a small boy, a big pile of just Lego pieces, the little tiny ones, and then a little booklet. And then three hours later, he's out pops this, you know, Lego Batman boat. And he's got this big smile. How good is it? Um, you see it with some of you gifted artists with just a pile of paint and a white canvas and out pops something beautiful. With gifted bakers, some of you are gifted bakers. You take raw ingredients and a recipe. And, or some of you gifted financial planners. And you do it with people with disorganized finances. Some of us need it with our disorganized closets. <laughs> Creating new and beautiful things, though, were not the ultimate purpose. As one commentary said, speaking of Genesis 2.15, it said, So it was always God's design that humans would work the ground God had created in Eden. But they were to do it as an inherent religious act. 
This be done in fulfilling the creator's purpose. And this was profound when I read this. Because what he's doing is it gives a profound meaning and purpose to all of our work. It exceeds, far exceeds something like making money. It says this, that your work is an opportunity to worship and enjoy God. All of our work. Worship is not just what you do on Sundays, on Sunday morning or in your quiet times as the video said. Cleaning pools is an inherently religious act. Designing cabinets is an inherently religious act. Financial planning, changing diapers and making PBJs, sweeping floors and teaching children and selling cars and studying as a student is an inherently religious act. Maybe even what lawyers do. That's for Paul. These are all ways to worship and enjoy God. That's the design purpose and value that God has given to our work. Let's look, though, how it was distorted. And we have to do that. We have to talk about this, right? Because very few of us feel that work is this joyful, always this joyful use of our creativity. It doesn't always feel like a place to worship and enjoy God. Work is hard for a lot of reasons. Some, some of you don't like what you're doing. You feel it's forced. Some are working at a job that doesn't pay very much and doesn't pay the bills. Some are work at a, working at a job you're just not good at. And some feel stuck at a job that doesn't use all the creativity and skills that God's given you. Some of you want to be working but are unemployed right now, and that's really hard. Some of us feel like you're working really hard, but you're just spinning your wheels. You're not as productive as you would like it to be at work. They're like the disciples in Luke 5 when they tell Jesus, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. Genesis three seventeen through 19 tells us why work is hard. It's not what it was intended to be. It says that sin brought a curse and brought a brokenness and a frustration, not only to our relationship with God, but to our work. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread. Notice that work work is not the punishment itself, the curse, rather, is the pain and sweat, and the hardship, the frustration in our work. The thorns and thistles will, will make it less productive than you always long it to be. There will always be sweat and toil from a hot sun or a hard boss, a failed hard drive or a failed test, or children that don't listen, or babies that... Use the bathroom 10 seconds after you change their diaper. Not that I'm upset about that or anything. And we can't address all the nuances and reasons work is hard, but I want to look at two general ways. One, there's, a, there's now a distorted value to work. There's a New York Times study that came out in 2014. The article is titled, Why You Hate Your Work. And in it, they surveyed over 12,000 employees in a range of companies and found that over 50% of the average worker uh, finds their work meaningless, um, without meaning and significance. In other words, they don't find any value in what they do most of their life for that percentage of their week. 
Some undervalue work by treating their job as a necessary evil, right? And we almost talk like this. How was your week? Well, I got through it. It's just something, work is something you had to endure to get through to the weekend or just to pay the bills or support something else that has a lot of value to you, such as time with family, hobbies, or holidays. Others undervalue work by treating it as their job as just it's something insignificant. It's really nothing. It's just, it's not really even important. It's just a menial job. It feels pointless. I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything of value. You know, a lot of our church, you may or may not know, but um, I think most, a lot of us know that a lot of our church works for a parachurch ministry. And I am constantly amazed at what some of the people in our church are accomplishing around the world for the sake of Christ. Um, I know one person in our church uh, works for one of the leading Bible translators, and he's raising millions to translate the Bible. I went and visited another one of you uh, recently uh, over at, uh, at Crew. Um, with Jesus film, and he told me about how the, they're working this year to, to bring this, um, the Jesus film to over 70 new people groups that have never heard of Jesus, and that's just this year. It made me think, though, as I was preparing this sermon, of um, pulling into crew on the way to meet him. And uh, I met the security guard, and... Um, yeah, I just, I just, it just made me wonder that if he feels like if he has as much value as other people working at Crew, it made me wonder if some of the people working in accounting offices and the janitorial services feel like that they have as much value as others. I think there's many of us who feel this. Well, I'm not doing the work of Jesus as I go and do my menial job at work or school or building code or simulators. That's not valuable. And that's a way of undervaluing and distorting God's original view of work. So that's a distorted value on work. But let's look at a distorted purpose for work. Because for some of us, it's not undervaluing work. It's, it's actually overvaluing work. Work is, is a means where it's to make more money. That's the value of work. I need to make more money to buy more things or maybe to feel safe, have a good requ- uh, retirement. Going to work is, is a means to make more money and that's a distorted purpose. For some of us though, it's, it's, more, it's a little bit deeper below the surface. We make work into a place where we find our identity. Os Guinness said in his book, The Call, he said, one reason we ask people what do you do? One reason is because it helps us place a person on the map in our minds. After all, he says, work for most of us determines a great part of our opportunity for significance, the amount of good we are able to produce in a lifetime. Besides, work takes so much of our working hours that our jobs come to define us and give us our identities. He said we actually become what we do. He's right. One reason work is hard is because we allow our work to define us and give us our identities. Can you relate with this? You ever relate with going home on a, any given day and your spouse or somebody in your family or a friend or roommate ask you, how was your day? How often is it that your day was determined by your productivity, your efficiency, or your work? Our identities are so wrapped up 
in what we do. Better the day at work, the stronger the identity. The weaker, the weaker we are. Another way we do this is to use our work as a means to just increase our status in the world. To work our way up the ladder. And this happens so soon after this passage in Genesis 3. In Genesis 11, you have men using the gifts that God had given them to build and create and be innovative. And they build a, a city and then they build a tower. And they say, we want to build for ourselves a city that reaches to the heavens. Why? To put on display the creativity God had given them? No, it says, so that we can build a name for ourselves. You relate with using your work to build a name for yourself? I can. To increase your status. Work was never intended to be a means to make a name for ourselves. Our work was never meant to be used as a place to find our identity. Unfortunately, many of us take jobs that just don't fit us or we stay in jobs that don't fulfill us for these reasons. Or make more money, increase our status, strengthen our identity, or make a name for ourselves. And that's a distorted view of work. But let's look lastly at how work can be redeemed. Work can be redeemed. How can we increasingly find the value and purpose in whatever God has given you as your work? Number one, I'll give two things. Number one, fight to get your value or your identity from Christ and not your work. Let me tell you what I mean. Take a moment real quick to to just ponder what Christ, ponder Christ with me for a minute. Because we've been looking at Hebrews and the first couple of verses of Hebrews, it says that Christ, before he was ever born, he was the, the radiance of the glory of God. We caught a glimpse of that glory and the transfiguration. And they could almost be up there. It kind of drove them crazy. Peter's like, I don't know what we should do. Let's build a tent. You know, I mean, like, it just was glorious. And he was full of glory, and yet he was born humble means with the sole purpose to live a perfect life, obey the law fully, go to a cross and accept the blame that we deserve upon himself, right? And that plan was set in motion before the foundation of the world for you and me so we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. But isn't it interesting that before the foundation of the world, as they're coming up with that plan, part of the plan is that he says, you know what, you're going to work as a woodworker for 30 years. You're going you're gonna to be a carpenter. You're going to be born into a carpenter's family. You're going to work. You're going to make things out of wood for 30 years before you really go into ministry. I just find that so interesting. That God didn't see it as a waste of time that Jesus would do for most of his life what many called a menial, mundane, simple job. And so it made me wonder, how did Jesus... Avoid discouragement or frustration as he spent long days cutting down trees, building houses or, you know, putting together small furniture hours a day when he knew he had such a significant calling. I think two things. One, I think he knew he was secure in the fact that his his heavenly father had had his hands dirty in the beginning. (laughs) His heavenly father was working in the beginning. He's still at work right now. And Jesus was called to work. He saw the glory in work. But number two, to this point, that his work was not his identity. It wasn't his ultimate value. And I'll show you that. In with, uh, turn to John 17 with me. 
It's on page 1149, if you're using the Bible, in the pews. So we get a picture of this before Jesus goes to the cross. John 17. This is Jesus' prayer right before he goes to the cross. And listen to some of the things he says. Verse 4. He says, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus felt a sense of accomplishment. I accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the foundation or before the world existed. Verse 24. Skip over there. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see it? How is a a king able to become a carpenter for 30 years and then head to a cross? He did it because his main work is to make... From this passage... He saw that his glory came from his heavenly father that sent him and not his job. His value was in that his heavenly father, he says, loved him before the foundation of the world. He was so secure in that. And in verse 23, right above that, he says, I came that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Isn't that an amazing verse? Because it applies it to us. I think it's... It says this, the more we realize that Jesus' main work was that for those who believe in him, simply believe in him, would be loved even as the Father loved Jesus himself, the more we will lose our need to find our identity in our work or our boss or what we accomplish. And we'll find our identity and value in him. Pastor J.D. Greer tells a story of a young college graduate taking a job, a high-end job with an advertising firm in, on, on Madison Avenue in, um, Man- in Manhattan. And this, this company was known for having high expectations and having a cutthroat kind of, having a cutthroat type of atmosphere at work. And shortly after she got there, she made a mistake that lost the company $25,000. And thinking she would be fired by the end of the day, her boss went to the board and convinced them to allow the blame for her mistakes to fall on him instead. And when the young lady heard this, she came to him with tears and asked him, why would you do this? And this is what he told her. He said, 15 years ago, I learned that Jesus had taken all the blame on the cross for what he did or for what I did against God. And now I want to live to show that same grace to others when I have the opportunity. You just don't do things like that if your identity is in your work. You just don't do things like that if you're trying to build up your status at work. If your work is your identity and your status, you don't take the blame for people. You actually pass it off. You learn to pass the blame on people. But if your identity is in Christ and outside of your work, it enables to start living at work with that kind of purpose. Leads to the last point. Number one, God has given you, get your value from Christ. Number two, God has given your work purpose. 
I hope this is encouraging for some of you who feel like your job is insignificant or small or menial or mundane. You know, Martin Luther was passionate about this topic of work and he, <clears throat> he um, derived some of his theology from work from the Psalms, interestingly enough. He noticed from Psalms like one, Psalm 136 and 145 where, he talk, where God says he's feeding all of flesh and all of men, that God's actually doing the feeding. He started asking, well, well how does God feed? And he would say things like this. He said, um, well, he does it through the fa- farmer shoveling manure in the maid milking her cow. And his profound conclusion was this, that, that God is actually milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. God is actually milking, or, uh, God is actually milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. And interesting. His conclusion was that, quote, God is milk, is, um, <clears throat> sorry, that, he said, when, the, the, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread, he said, God is providing for us our daily bread through simple bakers. Or at least some guy pushing buttons at the Sara Lee factory, right? But that's, it's, that's how God decides to do those things. In other words, this is the profound truth for all of our work. That your work, no matter how seemingly menial or insignificant it is, is a pipeline of God's providential care for his people in the world. Do you see your work like that? Stay-at-home mothers, engineers, roofers, coders, studiers, those who work at McDonald's, those who work at Fairwinds. Your work is a pipeline of God's providential care for his people in the world. Your work has significance and purpose from God, even if you don't see it. Luther said, what else is our work to God, whether in the fields, in the house, in the city, or in the government, but like a child's performance, whether he wants, by which he wants to give his gifts in the field, at home, and everywhere else. He says, these are masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. Your job is a mask of God which he wants to do all things. In other words, don't call your job menial. God is accomplishing more than you think. As one writer said, you are specifically designed to impact the world in a way that no one else can. But often, God has masked it. How he's doing that, even in the smallest of jobs, caring for his creation and his people. And this should free us to work, to glorify and enjoy God no matter what your task is this week whether a professional minister or missionary or anything else, you have the opportunity to worship and enjoy God. Dorothy Sayers, uh, 20th century century writer and poet, uh, said this. This came from Keller's book called Every Good Endeavor, a great book on this. But Dorothy Sayers wrote, The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk or make sure he, uh, uh, or disorderly in his leisure hours and come to church on Sundays. She says, What it really should be is the church should be telling him to do the very, that the very first demand on his religion is he should make good tables. You and I, therefore, should use all the creativity that God has given us to do what God has given us us to do and do it well. As Colossians 3:23 through 24 says, whatever you do, whether designing tables or rockets, cleaning a house or a business, but work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, because you are serving 
Christ, your Lord. So I encourage you to find your to fight, to find your value from Christ, not in your job. And be encouraged that God has given your work this incredible purpose. And go tomorrow, on Monday morning, and enjoy and worship God through the work He's given you. Let's pray. Lord, I and we praise you as a church. We it, it is right and fitting. I feel it's right and fitting for us to just give gratitude to you. It's right and fitting probably for some of us to repent for being for grumbling so much with the work you've given us. There should be more rejoicing with the gifts you've given everyone in this room. God, as we repent, we find hope in the gospel and we give you thanks that Jesus, you worked hard, not only as a carpenter, but you went to accomplish the greatest work was to make us eternally loved and gloriously accepted, made right with our God for all of eternity. God, what a glorious calling that is. And we thank you that you said it was finished. You've completed that work. So as we go into Monday morning, Lord, I pray that we'd find an excitement, a joy, a hope to enjoy our work unto your glory. Unto your glory and the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen.